Hey everybody, I'm Adam Levenberg. Welcome to the 12th Official Screenwriting Podcast. So this is a really interesting episode where I'm going to talk about the horror genre and some of the new categories that are really old categories that we can break horror screenplays down into because I think that when it comes to horror, remember, it is the one of the most popular genres. It's the only genre that sells itself. I talked a little bit last week about my sort of disrespect for a lot of the films that are made in the genre where I think the vast majority of them are junk and I love nothing more than a great horror movie so it's something that really hurts me when I when I watch films that are that that don't work and I recently have listened to the John Truby audio course which I think is terrific and asked a lot of really important questions I'm going to share a little tid, some tidbits with you from that course but really, what you know, my whole thing, whenever I look at somebody's body of work in a certain genre, my sort of head goes to, okay, here's everything they had to do. Where can I take this now? Where, where can I take this to the next level? Because ultimately, when Adam Levenberg is looking at something, I'm going to try to sort of break it down into a way of looking at it that screenwriters in the 2010s can, can sort of work with. And that's one of the things that I think I've done here. So, I, again, the information that I share a little bit later in the show is new. It is fresh. It is sort of my initial, this is how I'm going to break things down in terms of the way the different types of horror scripts that there are. And we can move on from there. And some of that will be based on your questions. That's actually why I love my screenwriting class, which I'll, get, I'll talk about in a minute. But I love when people can throw out a title and say, well, you just talked about these six categories. Which one does this movie fall into? And the reason that I'm recording this today is because I have a really great answer to one of those questions. So I'll come back to that, circle around to it a little bit later. In movie news of uh, people who have I've worked with, uh, Oz the Great and Powerful is coming out this week. My friend Pollock Patel produced the film. And I called him up and I said, hey, is, am I going to love the film? Because if I am not going to love this film... I don't need to go see it, and I've known Pollock forever. He knows my taste. I've worked for him a bunch of times, and he has assured me not only will I love the film, but that I need to go see it in 3D. So that's something I can share with all of you guys, that you know, 3D is something that ever since Avatar, um, the share of tickets sold in 3D to any films released in 3D has gone down. They always have the film in 3D and 2D, and at this point, it's almost like 50% of the tickets are sold in 3D, 50% not in 3D. This is not a movie where you're going to want to skip uh, the th in order to save $2.50 for the ticket premium. Uh, Sam Raimi is one of our greatest filmmakers, and he has apparently made it a point to blow it out, to work in 3D, to, to examine the medium, and to play with it in ways that we haven't seen before and take it to the next level. So I have that from, from the source, from one of the producers of the movie, that this is not the film to go see in 2D. Now, personally, between us, I always go see it in 3D if it's available. I like 3D. I think it's fun. I know that there's a lot of uh, criticisms of it, and those criticisms are fair, especially for the filmmakers who have to decide whether or not they want to be limited, because it's a very limiting medium. And what I'm suggesting to you is that Sam Raimi has taken it to the next level, and that, you know, if I'm going to love the film, if I can love this film, then I'm guessing that it's pretty well, uh, it, it's sort of something that all of us uh, will enjoy. Because I'm a tough critic when it comes to certain movies. So, uh, uh, in other news, Ryan Engel has been hired on to Ben 10, which is a Joel Silver project, an adaptation of the Cartoon Network show. 
and that you know Ryan I've worked with a bunch in the past maybe I'll have him on an episode because he has his first big movie coming up this year with Liam Neeson and uh, Julianne Moore called Nonstop. And uh, maybe we'll talk to him a little bit about Ben 10. I'm not familiar with Ben 10. I've never seen it. I've heard of it before. I know it is very popular, but um, it's not something that I've ever watched. So maybe I'll have him on the show and we'll talk about that. You know, again, my, my thing about having people on that I know and talking to them is I really want to talk to people who are sort of right at the beginning of their careers. It, to me, this is really more about breaking down how people are breaking through those walls and the differences between breaking through those walls and the challenges that they had up until they sort of reached that point where they got agents, where they got out there and started working. And that's why I had Mike Darrow on the show last week, who's an editor who just directed two what I consider to be sort of like respectable uh, films by, you know, decent filmmakers at a time where, uh, you know, he's, he's sort of crossing over as an editor right now into getting to work on better projects. So that's why I had him on. And... To me, I'd rather deal with people like that than than have on somebody who's made 15 movies or whatever and talk about the generalities and things and their experiences and so forth. Because you know what? Fuck that stuff. You can get that anywhere. You can see that on panels. You can. That that's not what this podcast is about. Um, and, and in other news, I, every time I opened the trades this week or every time I went to the websites, I saw another friend and somebody that I've worked with. Uh, it has a big job. Josh Boom was hired on to uh, The Fault in Our Stars, which is a film that is going to be huge. It's from the producers of Twilight, and it is a book adaptation. Time Magazine apparently called this book the number one fiction book of 2012. I haven't read it yet. I probably will read it. Apparently, you know, I just haven't been willing to jump into it yet because the I, the concept of it is that it is about uh, it's about a teenage girl stricken with terminal cancer who falls for a boy in her support group. The two form a bond as they deal with their illnesses. I mean, like, break the tissue box out, like, just based on the log line. And by the way, this is interesting. If you look at the, if you look at the blacklist scripts from, I believe, 2012, uh, you'll see that three of the 75 are about people dying. And John Truby always talks about, you know, that film is about sort of examining, or at least Hollywood film is about examining what is the better way to live your life. And part of that is death. And there's no better way to, you know, sort of, you know, sort of grind tears out of the audience than to, to explore that. But, you know, if you're going to do it, you really have to sort of uh, punch them in the face with it. You really have to get the tears flowing. And this book apparently does that. And Josh is a writer who I've known since he was 18 and I was 18. And I've, I've uh, been reading his stuff, you know, since then. So I'm excited because he didn't write this script. This script was written by Newstatter and Weber who wrote 500 Days of Summer. They're the people who adapted this book. So this is huge. I, Josh had just directed a film called Stuck in Love, which is going to come out, I think, this summer with Jennifer Connelly, Greg Kinnear, Lily Collins. And uh, and Stephen King is apparently in this movie, according to IMDb. So, uh, some really big things coming up this week that I, that I saw in the trades. And Oz the Great and Powerful, of course, you're going to want to see it. I want to talk real quickly about another movie if for comedy people out there. And that is FDR American Badass. I, don't ask me why I clicked on it. It was there in Netflix. And sometimes I'll click on something just to see how terrible it is. Just to look and see, is there anything here? Um, 
And this is a film that was shot on like a zero budget. This is true sort of guerrilla, let's make a digital movie filmmaking. Whether or not they spent 20,000, 50,000, 70,000, I don't know, but I'd be shocked if it made it into the six figures. And the film is really, really funny. They got Barry Bostwick, who I believe had played FDR. Some of you might remember him as the mayor on Spin City. He's a veteran actor who, who you know, is incredibly talented. Lynn Shape, who those of us who have seen Kingpin remember her as the filthy landlord of uh, Woody Harrelson. She's in it. There's some really great performances. And, you know, I want you to, if you're a comedy person, this is a great example of a movie where you should watch it and see how far into it you get. Because the writers clearly, I don't know if it was one or two writers, but the writers are incredibly talented when it comes to crafting comedy. It's bizarre. The dialogue is funny. There's funny visuals. However, there's some story issues going on. And to me, there's very little story craftsmanship occurring where it feels like the movie sort of bounces from thing to thing to thing without necessarily following traditional character arc, traditional goal-oriented hero, and that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I would love for you to watch it just so that you can get a sense of what great comedy writing looks like before a studio comes in and sort of insists on certain elements. Because, you know, I did not make it all the way through the movie on the first view. Maybe I'll go back to it. Maybe I'll sort of put it on as I have 10 minutes here and there. But, you know, the, even the funniest scripts, you know, don't necessarily have that story craftsmanship. And that's why studios buy them. And sometimes it works or sometimes it doesn't work when a studio jumps in and says, well, the writers are funny. The idea is funny. Let's, um, let's see if we can sort of work the story. And often that throws the script off track and the writers sometimes aren't capable of that or they would have delivered it the first time out. And then you end up with new writers and they put their own spin on it and suddenly you're losing a lot of the comedy from the original writers. And that's often called development hell and everybody sort of points fingers at the studio for fucking it up when in reality it wouldn't have been fucked up if the script itself really, really worked in the first place. But anyway, this was a bunch of people going out and making an incredibly low budget movie. It's very, very funny. There's some really cute stuff in it. And I want you, if you're a comedy writer, to check it out and see how long you hang in there. Because these guys have the Zazz pizzazz. Zazz were the people who made, the, the team, uh, Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker, who made Airplane. They made Ruthless People. They made Top Secret. And they've all gone off and done their own franchises like The Naked Gun and Hot Shots. And what, what is the other one that they... Um, Bunch of, oh, and, and the other one went off and did Ghost, and then he did Rat Race, which is one of my favorite comedies. So, you know, I would suggest that they have that quality, that ability to write funny stuff, but the story of the, you know, in FDR, American Badass, is not there yet. And again, the, the story is about FDR. Um, we see him facing off against werewolves. This is Franklin Delano Roosevelt. We see him get polio from a werewolf bite, <laughs> and he ends up running for president of the United States and facing off against Nazi werewolves. So uh, I'm going to move on to some announcements real quickly. Guess what? Uh, if you're listening to this podcast and it's March of 2012, you can get a script consultation from me at the rewrite price. That is like 40% off. And I am doing that. I'm, I'm going to experiment with sort of lowering the price because what I had done in the past was I had my fee was kind of high. 
And there's a lot of work that I put into working with each individual writer, a lot of time put into the notes. And there was a lot of follow-up that would happen. You know, when sometimes people come back to me and they'll be like, hey, I don't know if you remember me, but you hired me last year. I remember everybody that I worked with. I can talk to them about their scripts and what they said they were going to do. And usually they'll come back and, and I'll send them things throughout the year that I know are scripts that they should be reading and check in with them and vice versa. And there was all this stuff. And I'm trying to figure out a way to sort of reformat my business where I can work with people more. I can have lower prices and sort of less work involved so that more people I can work with more writers. Because right now I can only work with one or two new writers a week. And I'd like to be able to work with more. That's why I have the $99 concept consultation where I'll talk about all your log lines. And right now you can hire me. If you go to my website, officialscreenwriting.com, you can hire me to read your script at the rewrite price, which is more than 40% off. And that is something that's available to you in March. So by all means, check that out. And I also have a new screenwriting class that starts March 9th at the Director's Playhouse in West LA. It runs six weeks, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. And is something, if you're in the LA area at all, my God, you should be part of this class. I, I keep it pretty small. And it's a lot of me working individually with people in the class learning from that. So everybody is sort of working on their own stuff and we bring it in and we put it on the board or on the projector and we'll go through the script or we'll go through their beat sheets. And, you know, I want people to really be on the right path and everybody gets that. So it doesn't matter if you've taken courses in the past or if you are totally unfamiliar with screenwriting. That's really the, the idea of this class is you're going to come in every week and work with me and everybody else will sort of benefit from the lessons that you're going to learn about your own stuff. Um, moving on to horror, okay, so I listened to the John Truby audio course on horror, and what I was kind of left with at the end of it was, wow, you know, I, we started out with sort of the idea of horror as this one genre, and it sort of goes off in a zillion different directions. Um, and that's not criticism, that's just, you know, this is a 20-some-year-old course, I still think that it's worth listening to, I still think you'll get a lot out of it. But, you know, again, this is 20-some years old. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like at the end of it, you're kind of left with, well, here's all these really, this universe of pieces of information, but they don't all fit together. And part of that is because horror films function completely differently from each other. There is no sort of one genre unless you're talking about shelving DVDs at Blockbuster. Unless you're thinking about, well, is there blood? Is there gore? Are there scares? Are there... This is, you know, this is not stuff that screenwriters need to be associated with because there's scares and there's blood and there's gore in warm bodies. And that movie is not a horror movie. So what is a horror movie? Well, horror movies, and by the way, this is the crazy thing. The first question I'm going to ask warm bodies actually deals with, which is we asking the most fundamental question, what is human? What is inhuman? And very often in horror films, it's about the inhuman trying to enter the human world or facing the inhuman in ourselves. So as you look at these different categories, you know, the supernatural horror film will often be about the inhuman trying to enter the human world. And the psychological horror movie will be about facing the inhuman in ourselves. And horror, as this is John Truby talking, it takes the biggest questions about our world and jams them into the smallest possible space. And ask the questions, what is man and what is machine? What is man and what is animal? Can death be postponed or stopped, as we see in Dracula, Pet Cemetery, and Final Destination? 
What motivates a person to act and what are the greatest fears that hold people back from living well? Well, I would suggest that those questions are dealt with in horror films like The Stepford Wives. Um, can a man create another man or a woman? Or could a woman create another man or a woman? And does every human being have a good and a hateful side, which is the other half? It's Psycho, it's Angel Heart, it's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, and also, is the ugliest creature among us human? Which, you know, most recently Splice dealt with. And I would suggest that Splice is kind of a horror film. It is a horror of metamorphosis. Um, and in these films, a character is reduced to animal or machine, while the monster increases. So it's often about somebody deteriorating. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that we're going to look at in something that I consider to be a horror screenplay, which is that you are going to be tracking the de-evolution of man. Remember that science fiction, because science fiction and horror often, you know, the interesting thing about horror is that there's actually, it's almost always a hybrid of two different things. Um, and I'll get to that a little bit later. But in, in science fiction, it's about the evolution of man. It's about taking that next step. It's about where we're going. And horror is about moving backwards. It's about getting in touch with the primordial. That's why the, the monsters are often reptilian. They're often bug-like. They're often uh, shark-like. They're wet, slimy. It's, it's sort of about where we came from, whereas science fiction is about moving forward. So, you know, you can look at a movie like um, Event Horizon, say, and say, well, that's, it's on a spaceship. That must be a science fiction movie. Well, I mean, it's horror, it's horror of science fiction. It uses the idea of the future, but really it's about these people deteriorating, where they came in touch with some cosmic evil that has turned them into barbarians. And that's what's happening to the people aboard the ship now where they're trapped in a haunted house in space. So it's not really a science fiction movie at its core. It's a horror movie at its core. And I want you to get in touch with that. That's what this, this podcast is all about. It's about getting in touch with whatever the, the core elements are that you are working with as a screenwriter, because that's what you're tracking. That's what your hero is going through. And you want to look at that from the hero's point of view. Which is another thing that, you know, I try to get in touch with in the starter screenplay. I want to talk about here. It's really about writing scripts from the hero's perspective. Being in touch with those character arcs. I talk about them if you, the episode number three is the six types of character arcs according to Truby. I haven't come up with any better ones. And I think that it's about really getting in touch with who your hero is, what they're dealing with, and everything else should serve that. And, you know, sometimes in movies it actually is tough to say, well, who's the hero? in that film. I know that that can become difficult sometimes. I mean, you watch a movie like The Exorcist. I, I would suggest that, you know, for our purposes, the priest is the, is the hero of The Exorcist or the person whose eyes we're going to watch this movie from. And we're going to tell the story from their point of view. So, you know, some movies, it can get a little complicated. And that doesn't mean that they're bad movies. It means that if you're a screenwriter, don't write like that. You've got to be more in touch. The, the new screenwriter's version of The Exorcist would be probably far more priest-oriented, where we might not be as interested in what's going on in that house when the priest isn't there. Um, you can have those scenes, but again, we're going to always be looking to how quickly can we deal with this stuff so we can get back to the priest. And that's what I deal with in the starter screenplay. It's all about reducing it to its most essential elements so that you as a writer can have an easier time writing the script. The starter screenplay is not about, like, this is how you write your first script. It's about writing your first script that's going to sell. 
And I know that the title is terrible because it makes people think other things and it makes it, people think that it's, you know, sort of an elementary book. But it's not because I have people who've been through four-year courses and they have all this information in their heads and they lose track of that path. And that's what I want to share with you guys. Okay. Um, so we're, we're, there's a couple of types of heroes. Truby talks about starting, the, there's the hero who starts off as high as possible. A hero wants to move mankind itself to the next level. A scientist, a great thinker. Somebody who's got the sci-fi ideal in their head, the next step in evolution. But of course, whatever they get as a result of their experiment is going to move us in the other direction. Um, and then there's the average person who is good, who stumbles into a terrifying phenomenon. Jaws, Exorcist, Psycho. Um, and as Truby says, we spend a lot of time at the beginning making the character intensely human, getting to know them. They're often a leader in their community, maybe about to get married, maybe, you know, in Poltergeist, it's they're moved into a new neighborhood, a new house. They're taking the next step as a family. Um, and then I would suggest there's a third type, which is the teenager. It's a version of the average person, but usually it's a teenage girl with a traumatic past. And I think that that is, is key um, for certain types of horror films. And again, you know, as I talk about in my book, it's that doesn't mean that you can't have a horror movie about a teenage boy as the hero. However, if you're going to do that, your job as a screenwriter is to research this a little bit, to look at, well, why is it usually a female girl? What are the issues that are going on there? Why is that particularly scary? What is it... Why is this a convention of the medium? And then how do I undermine that? How do these things apply or not apply to, to men or to boys or to teenage boys? And how do things need to switch up? And that's the examination that as a writer you're going to want to get in touch with. The hero's goal in these movies is very clear. It's to defeat the monster or to survive. And the interesting thing about horror is that the hero doesn't necessarily need to evolve, especially in the horror of survival, which I'll talk about in a minute. If, if the hero is just trying to survive, then we don't need it to be that, you know, that they're necessarily not that strong or have a fear of public speaking or whatever it is. The traditional things that we deal with in character arcs are no longer applicable if the character is just trying to survive. Um, and there is a ghost in horror movies, and we're not talking about the, ooh, like ghost in a sheet or supernatural ghost. We're talking about the event from the past that affects the hero in the present. And the cool thing about horror movies is that it's often about the sins of the mother or father, um, an injustice that has never been fixed. And that is now coming home to roost in the life of our hero. So, for example, in the movie Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy Krueger was a child molester, and the community banded together burned down his house and that's how the monster was created he looks like a i mean he's he's a burn victim that's where the look of freddy krueger came from um but the interesting thing that they dealt with i believe in future uh episodes of the film and i would suggest again this is what the nightmare on elm street people did later on i think because i haven't had a chance to go back and look at this stuff before i'm talking about it now but even if they dealt with it in later points for our purposes for our purposes if you're a screenwriter you would want this thing that people did that perpetrated on this person that turned into the monster, you would want the monster to initially have been innocent. So that's the thing that I think they dealt with later on, which is that Freddy Krueger was not a child molester, it, which makes the, the vigilante action against him by the community a crime. And that's why we don't do vigilante things, because you're just as likely to kill somebody who's not guilty as guilty, and that's why we have a system of law. So... Um, 
I think for our purposes, Nightmare on Elm Street's a great example of this, where the event from the past has affected the hero in the present. And it's really, I, I want to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street in terms of the haunting, because if you remember the haunting, it's a haunted house movie. It's been done a, a couple of times, and the most recent one was directed by Jan de Bont. And the problem with that movie is that the evil that has been perpetrated is like by the hero's great-grandfather, that he was the one who was guilty, and she has very little connection with him. They try to bring, and they seem to recognize that because they create problems between the hero and her mother, where she lived with her mother, who was basically terrorizing her, and then the mother died and left everything to the, the hero's sister, who barely came to visit. And, um, you know, I think that it just speaks to the fact that if you're creating a supernatural opponent, if you're dealing in a supernatural type of horror movie, it is you're dealing in some way with those sins of the mother or father or the hero themselves and i'm going to suggest that it's so much better if it's the hero themselves uh and drag me to hell is an example of that where you you just you just don't want to to sort of separate the hero from it because it's not as interesting I, I don't even think we look at the world in the same way anymore that the idea of this thing where it's the sins of the past coming into the present as a result of mothers and fathers i think that's like old school thinking um and we don't sort of work in that way anymore. Truby said this 20 years ago that we are moving away from using religion and and in terms of sort of setting up these these movies. And I think that that's another example of it. The sins of the mother or father are not as relevant as if the hero could perpetrate the evil, the injustice, the sin themselves. Um, and you want the opponent to somehow be representative of the hero's greatest fear. I think that that is important. You know, in Drag Me to Hell, which is something that I could probably... I'm, I may take an entire episode and talk about Drag Me to Hell because there's so much cool shit going on in it and it's truly a perfect film in terms of screenwriting. Um, the, the thing that the opponent is in this film, it's always centered around her eating. This is a character who had has an eating disorder. And, you know, the all every time that the hero comes in there's usually something being eaten all the horror surrounds around the mouth there's vomit coming out of mouths into mouths at one point the the gypsy who's attacking her you know the woman's teeth fall out and then she literally tries like eating Alison Lohman's face she like puts her mouth like around the girl's chin and is like gnawing at her um it's all food based stuff and every time the food's being eaten, bad shit comes down. So, and, and that's something that actually a lot of people miss when they see Drag Me to Hell because it's sort of subtext. And yet, if you look at it, it is everywhere, including in the first minute that we meet Allison Lohman. She gets out of her car. She walks by a bakery, looks in the window, looks at all the cakes, moves on, and sits down, you know, and walks into the bank where she works. Um, you're going to want to look at the contained setting, the haunted house, and how it represents the hero's greatest fear. It is the tightest space in storytelling. It's a human pressure cooker. Um, but the key to any horror space is that you're going to want to look at 3D attacks. That really opens things up because often you're thinking of attacks coming from the side one way or another. And once you start thinking about attack sequences where things can come up through the floor and down through the ceiling, if there is one, um, you're going to really open up the way that you write your action sequences above, below, behind, and across, or whatever. Um, just up and down, start thinking about. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing is that contained settings can be the woods, where it doesn't seem like it's a contained setting. 
doesn't seem like uh, the woods or wilderness could be contained, but they are. And um, interestingly, and this is my favorite thing about the audio course from John Truby, he talks about Jurassic Park in terms of a horror movie. And it totally is. Jurassic Park is a horror movie. The soundtrack doesn't sound like it. It wasn't marketed like it. It was marketed as an action movie. But it truly is a horror movie. It is about man fucking with nature, a horrible thing basically being perpetrated upon humanity now um, that is coming back to attack human beings. And we're going to set it in a contained space. That's awesome. That's horror. Okay. Remember, there's only three types of ending in horror. And this totally, I always suggest, you want to know where your movie is going. You always want to know, is your hero going to fail? Is your hero going to succeed? Um, and this is one of the few genres where, where evil can win. And that's your first type of ending. Evil wins. Second type, evil loses. That the hero succeeds in defeating evil. And the third, also most common way of doing it, is that evil is still lurking. That's all you got. Three types of endings to these movies. Um... The biggest thing that you're going to think about when you're writing horror is, is the opponent natural or supernatural? Meaning, are they human or are they some sort of spirit or entity? And, you know, remember that the supernatural can sometimes lead to a much cooler movie with a lot better trailer moments. Um, the problem with it is that it's really hard to make that scary. And you need to get in touch with your scares in a different way in a film like that because we're separated from it. We're divorced from it. We don't believe it. Um, and the biggest thing about a supernatural horror movie is that you need a character who is going to play the cynic, who is going to ask the same questions that the audience is thinking. And if you watch Drag Me to Hell, you know, that's what Justin Long is there for. And his whole tone is usually kind of sarcastic. I mean, it's sort of the persona that he often takes on. And here that fits into him playing the cynic, not believing what is going on, not believing when the, when this girl, you know, thinks that a curse is, when his girlfriend thinks that a curse has been put on her. Um, but we also have the, the natural hero, uh, you know, as we see in, in a lot of horror, horror of survival films. Okay. So... Let's move into um, the psychological and moral weaknesses of the hero. Often again, there's this strong crime that has been perpetrated in the past. It has entered the future. And we somehow want to connect that to the psychology of the hero. Where I haven't seen Nightmare on Elm Street, so I don't know how that event... That's purely event-based. That's sort of the setup. But the question would be, how do we attach this in some way to the fears that the hero has? And that's sort of the next level of screenwriting. Often these things are about pleasure. They're about the connection between sex and death. Um, it's the karma of horror. If you have pleasure here, you pay for it there. And that's something that Drag Me to Hell actually deals with because her sin was gluttony. You know, she was very overweight. Um, she has this disorder and you know everything again in the film is centered around food i have some theories on maybe how drag me to hell could have been made stronger because again you could look at it and say well is that really sin is it really oh i'm sorry let me this is the kind of thing that i would cut out if i was still editing the podcast which i am not going to from now on because it just adds way too much work but the sin that perpetrates sort of the curse in drag me to hell is that a gypsy walks into the bank where Alison Lohman wants a promotion where she is told, you need to be able to make the tough decisions. I need a ball breaker here. And this gypsy woman comes in and says, hey, uh, you know, hands her some documents. And Alison Lohman says, 
hey, uh, you're being foreclosed on today or the foreclosure is over, you need to leave your house today. And the woman says, please, please, like, you know, and begs the, uh, Alison Lohman. And she makes the tough decision and she says, I'm sorry, we can't help you. And the woman then gets, gets down on her knees and Alison Lohman, you know, she like sort of grabs onto Alison Lohman's dress and Alison Lohman like backs up and the woman falls onto the ground. Alison Lohman yells for security and security comes over and the old woman says to her, you have shamed me. I asked you for help and you have shamed me, you know. And then the woman leaps at her and that's sort of the reason that a curse is put on Alison Lohman that she... That, that greed, that her own, she put her own sort of advancement over the needs of this destitute woman. I would suggest there might be a way to do that a little more strongly because the way that it's presented, you almost feel like, wow, if I was in that situation, maybe I'd do the same thing. But maybe, again, that's a tool that the, that the filmmaker is using to bring us in to the horror. Because at that point, we would believe, well, I would have done the same thing and maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. And maybe there is... You know, it sort of puts us on her path. So, you know, where before I said this stuff out loud, I was actually thinking, oh, you know, maybe you could twist that so that it feels like more of a sin. Maybe the maybe it's sort of a devious filmmaker at work in a genre that's all about getting devious in bringing us on the hero's path. I don't know. That's something maybe to explore more. I'll, I'll certainly think about that as I rewatch the film. Incidentally, I will be doing, uh, I will be writing up something on Drag Me to Hell and putting it at the website, officialscreenwriting.com. So, you know, if you care to check it out in a couple days, that will be up. Um, okay, so let's uh, move on to what I think the, the new categories are of horror. And these are not new categories. That's the crazy thing about this. These are not new However, I think that for a screen, I'm, I'm all about looking at it from the screenwriter's purpose, and I think that we can put these movies together in terms of how they function, in terms of how they operate. And there's six of these categories, but if you have another category, or if you think that a movie doesn't fit into it, please email me with it, or take my class and talk to me about it, because I will definitely follow up with that and talk about it. I want to I want to be able to do that with this podcast. I want people to be able to put things out there, and I want, you know, right now, this is not, this is not the ultimate in what this information is. This is sort of my first draft of it that I get to share with you here. Um, first one is Slasher. It's about the monster on the loose in the community, killing the heroes, friends, and family. Often this is set in a neighborhood. We set up a bunch of types, and we kill them off one by one. This is Nightmare on Elm Street. This is Friday the 13th. This is Scream. This is Final Destination. And the cool thing about Final Destination is it makes the point of, um, makes the, point of the unique means of killing. Because in Final Destination, it is, you know, death, it has it in for certain people, and the the thing about that is that we're going to watch these sort of Rube Goldberg-esque sequences where one thing affects another, affects another, affects another, affects another, and bam, uh, a person ends up with their head cut off as a result of that. So I think that, you know, when it comes to slasher movies, you want to be in touch with what type of uh, film you're doing. And again, usually the hero or the villain has a mask, is a monster, but again, it's about the hero uh, in the community, or I'm sorry, it's about the villain in the community. It's usually neighborhood-based, school-based, um, 
you know, or vacation based or, you know, but we're going to establish that perimeter kind of to it. And these can take place over a couple days. That's that's the other thing about these films that are a little bit different, that there is a time period that these films can be extended over because the value comes from the unique means that you have used to kill these characters off. That's where all the attention goes to for the screenwriter, making that scary and killing off people in really ingenious, fun, funny ways. Okay, number two is the monster versus human. Monster versus human. And that is Jurassic Park. That is most zombie movies. That is I Am Legend. That is Species. That is 30 Days of Night. That is 28 Days. That's 28 Days Later. The thing about these movies is... And by the way, there is a gardener outside who has decided to uh, decided to sort of use I don't know what the hell this this motherfucker is doing, but um, in any case, I'm just going to have to continue with this and fuck the gardener. All right. So the thing about the monster versus human film is that it's really about sort of this competition going on. It's about which one is going to survive, and I suggest that's what separates this from the slasher film. Um, because we often have a hero who's in a certain situation, but usually it's like right on the edge of, it's sort of a battle for humanity, which is different than the slasher movie, which is a battle for community, meaning it's a battle for friends and family. You know, there's no threat that this, that the villain in, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or in Scream is going to come after every American and then take over Mexico and Canada. But that's sort of what the monster versus human thing deals with. And as we see sort of at the end of Jurassic Park 2, it's, you know, the these killing creatures have now sort of exited the park and are now in San Diego. And, you know, the the next step, of course, usually would be they, they basically for the third one, they recontained it. They put it back in the park. Um, I don't know what the fourth one is about. It's coming, I think, next summer. And but if we look at these, it's really about this is the one where we often sort of have the humanity fucking with the laws of nature and it coming back to bite us on the ass. And it's about can humanity put down this uprising of the other or is this other horrific version of humanity? Because it's always that it's a version of humanity. Um, are they going to take over? And the thing to keep in mind is that there's often a point in a lot of these movies where you find out that the other, that the monster, it has a sympathetic goal. That's something that I Am Legend actually played with, um, and I can't remember if I Am Legend dealt with this in the alternate... You know, there's a totally different sort of third act for I Am Legend that ended up being cut and making it more cut and dry. But, you know, the, the thing that we find out is that the reason that the, all these zombies are encroaching on Will Smith's house is because he has one of their, their friends trapped in his basement and is doing experiments on him. He's got a zombie strapped to a table and is using that in order to figure out how to conquer the zombies. So the reason that they're there, it's not to kill Will Smith, it's to get their friend back. And we often have that twist that, that plays in, um, in these. Sometimes we don't, though. It's a tool that you can keep in mind. Um, the third type is the torture movie. Now, I think a lot of us are relieved that they're making less and less of these. That's Saul, The Collector, Hostel. And again, I would suggest looking at The Collector. I thought The Collector was terrific. It was uh, produced by Chris Lockhart, who was my first screenwriting teacher. And the, the thing is that, you know, it is what it is, and it's a torture movie. It's about people who get trapped in a house with a killer who likes to torture people and take them apart and all these crazy devices that are meant to trap people and that is something that 
you know, that is very specific. I don't want to spend too much time on the torture sort of version of it. It's often about putting people in really disgusting situations of choices where it's one thing or another. It's cut your leg off or I'm going to put a bullet in this person's head or something like that where where we, we sort of deal with sort of the most disgusting um, needs uh, or or disgusting sort of traits of humanity and again this is a very human form it's maybe one of the most human um, it's a little different than the next one which is horror of survival and that is the strangers that is Eden Lake if you haven't seen Eden Lake it's fucking awesome it is it is one of the great films it's Michael Fassbender and I blanking on her name the the co-star of flight uh and vacancy was another one of these where a couple uh ends up in this backwoods motel they see all the, they find all these videotapes they put a videotape into the vcr and they watch a murder happening that was caught on videotape and oh my god the murder happened in that room and then there's like a knock on the door and they have to survive and this is something that is often where movies go in their third act, but the difference in the horror of survival is that this is sort of the premise of the film, that we are going to know that our heroes are basically being hunted, and that is going to sort of come to us by the end of the first act, where the attack is on. And we're going to really closely follow the de-evolution of these heroes. We're gonna make them crawl through the mud and the muck, and go through places they're basically going to get dirtied up in a really disgusting way the more gross that they the, the grosser the things that they have to come in contact with the better um they're going to be wounded along the way we're going to watch their physical um deterioration as well as their mental deterioration because by the end of these films the heroes are essentially animals they are animals struggling for survival and again, I'd suggest that it's a little bit different than the torture uh, or the torture porn uh, sort of category uh, because the torture thing is really about torture. It's about people who want to capture people and use them for experiments for their own jollies, essentially. And survival is not necessarily about that. It's just about, might be about killing them, um, but often it doesn't depend on people doing it for fun and sport. Um, although, actually, as I'm looking at this category, I say, well, no, but often it, it, that's the killer's goal, that they're doing it for fun or sport. So if we want to maybe put these two categories together, I'm going to have to think about that. Maybe I'll get back to you on another podcast. I, I know that there's some difference between Saul and Vacancy and between The Collector and Strangers, but I, I don't know a way to sort of put it into words right now. So if you can think about that, by all means, email me, officialscreenwriting at gmail.com. Uh, the next, and this is one of the most popular ones, is the supernatural horror movie. And this is where I'm going to put a bunch of things together. Uh, this is the Haunted House movie. It's a ghost movie. This is Poltergeist. This is Drag Me to Hell. I would suggest this is The Exorcist. Um, you know, the difference between The Exorcist and some of these movies is that it's sort of about, it's the horror of the occult. It's about the devil. But... You know, if you're a screenwriter, it's ultimately about a spirit coming into our world, wanting to break through into humanity and the wall that is being put up by the hero in order to stop that. There is this battle before the hero, you know, the hero has sort of entered the world, but they're still stuck in some way. They still can't operate on their own. 
and it's about the hero trying to put that evil back into the box. And very often the end of this film is that evil is still lurking or that evil has won, even if we think evil has lost. So that's something to, to keep in mind. Um, the last form I want to, to talk about is the psychological horror film. And this is where it gets interesting, because what's the difference between a psychological horror film and a psychological thriller? Great question. I, I hope that I have part of the answer for you, which is that I think Black Swan is a psychological horror film, Psycho, The Shining, uh, although you can argue there's some sort of spirit going on in The Shining, but let's, let's just say it's about mental deterioration. Rosemary's Baby is an example of this. And in this film, we're going to br watch the breakdown of the human psyche. We're going to, to enter a path to madness, essentially, and that's what we're tracking in The Hero. That's, that's what uh, um, Shutter Island was. It was a, a sort of mental deterioration of the hero. Now, what is the difference? You know, for example, would The Sixth Sense, is that a psychological horror movie? I I'm going to go crazy here and say no. Because if we look at what the detect, if we look at what a thriller is, and not all, thrillers are not horror movies. However, what a thriller is, a thriller is the, the horror film meeting the detective film, where it's the detective film made intensely completely personal and that means that the hero's life or the lives of their families are on the line that is horrific and but it's not horror exactly and i'm going to suggest that the sixth sense is not about bruce willis's deterioration it's just not it's not about this character getting worse and worse and losing control of his mind it's about he has this active goal, which is that, you know, and the ticking clock in that film is that if he doesn't help this kid named Cole, who is seeing ghosts and seeing dead people, um, if he doesn't help him, then this kid is going to end up a suicide, like the, the failed patient relationship that he had in the past, which is, you know, the opening of the film, where uh, Don, Donnie Wahlberg comes in and was his patient in the past and puts a gun in his, his mouth and shoots himself. And that, that's the opening of the sixth sense. So that's the threat of the, that's the hero's failure. That's the ghost, not the ooh ghost, but the the sort of failure or sin in the past. They didn't help this kid who needed it, who relied on him. But you know, we see this ghost. We see the failure in the past in a lot of thrillers and in a lot of action movies. That doesn't make it horror. What makes it horror is is it about the mental deterioration of the hero or the physical deterioration? of the hero and that's what i think um we're gonna look at in terms of defining any sort of horror movie so i would suggest that maybe that's why warm bodies to me does not feel like a horror movie and doesn't work as one whether or not you think the movie works on its own or not is totally different you know there's zombies there's there's a love story there's a lot for everybody it's it's very funny but it's really about this zombie coming back to life as a result of interacting with this girl. He's trying to speak and gets better at it. He's trying to communicate with her and his communication skills improve because he's been stuck in his own head where he can barely interact with all these other zombies and he ends up sort of trapped uh, with this girl that he's fallen, falling in love with and 
he communicates with her and he keeps her safe and he's got to sort of operate as a human being and i would suggest that that's the exact opposite path that horror is interested in and that horror deals with so no the the sixth sense is not really a horror movie even though they can most certainly market it as one and there is something supernatural going on in it and there is psychological issues that the hero is dealing with and there is this path thing that needs to be uncovered um you know, it's sort of interesting, though. I'm going to... I'm willing to sort of disagree with what I just said. Another element that The Sixth Sense borrows from horror is that we often meet the hero of horror at the point of... Um, at the point that their mind is about to break, that there's something that they're hiding from themselves that is so traumatic that we are... You know, that's just about to explode. And that's essentially what the sixth sense is, if you think about it, because we're playing with that element where Bruce Willis has this secret from the past that he is hiding from himself, that he is too terrified to face and to admit to. So he's sort of, uh, he's, he's really held it down. And if you haven't seen the sixth sense, by the way, you know, get to a fucking blockbuster, please, please. Because I was once at a screenwriting event thing where um, where somebody they showed a scene from The Sixth Sense, and somebody raised their hand and said, well, you know, I haven't seen this movie, but where I think that it could be going is, and I was like, fuck you. What are you doing flying across the country to a screenwriting convention, and you haven't seen The Sixth Sense? But in any case, the thing that The Sixth Sense does do that borrows from horror is that there is this element that the hero is hiding something from themselves. They are hiding this event in the past. They can't face it. It's too traumatic for them, and they are about to crack. And over the course of the movie, they do crack, and they eventually face it. And that is what happens at the end of The Sixth Sense. So, you know, again, we're dealing with somebody, Night Shyamalan, who really knows genres inside and out. And I would suggest, my guess is that, that, that what is it called, that Signs is actually definitely a horror movie. I just don't think that The Sixth Sense is. Because um, I don't think that he deteriorates over the course. I think he plays detective. I think he faces this thing in the past. Um, and yes, he was about to crack. So maybe it falls on the border. But I think you have to be in touch with how all this stuff operates before you write. And you have to be in touch with what kind of category you're working with. Um, and there was one other thing I want to talk about, which is Misery. Is Misery a horror movie? And I'm going to suggest, yeah. Because Misery is a horror of survival movie where our hero deteriorates psychologically and physically. Where, you know, the, the concept of Misery is that this very famous author uh, ends up in this car crash in the mountains, in the snowy mountains, and he ends up being uh, rescued by a nurse played by Kathy Bates. For any of you who haven't seen Misery, it's based on a Stephen King book, and it's the film where Kathy Bates went from being basically a working actor with very small parts in movies to being an Oscar-winning actress who everybody thinks is fucking awesome because it's one of the great sort of horror or great per female perform monster performances of all time and the situation is that she rescues him and she's a nurse and she says well you know it's snowy out we can't really the the phone lines are down we can't really communicate with the outside world and then it turns out that she's his number one fan and he um, ends up she ends up reading the latest version of his book and realizes that he killed off the hero uh, of the franchise because he wanted out of writing this book or book series and she forces him to stay there and to write 
another chat another sort of entry in this franchise where he brings the hero back to life but he is trapped there in bed and when he starts getting better she hobbles him she takes a mallet and cracks his legs so that he cannot escape so you're talking about a horror of survival at its most psychological because it's not about there's monsters in the house and we're just trying to survive and make it till morning or there's you know people in the woods who we've pissed off and they're trying to kill me which is what Eden Lake is about um misery is about somebody who is constantly playing this game because she's his biggest fan but she's also bipolar she's also fucking crazy she we reveal her past he finds these articles in a scrapbook about all these patients who had died and she i guess had been brought up on charges of being one of those nurses who kills patients in order to either feel better or to bring them to the brink of death and then bring them back in order to make herself feel like a hero except a lot of times the person doesn't come back so he finds a scrapbook of that and she was brought up on charges and that's why she's living in the middle of nowhere now because she i guess had been found not guilty of something we know she fucking did um so he is facing off against a monster but it's not monster versus human it's not torture because she's not torturing him for jollies uh this is a survival film where she is trapping him she has her reasons for it and he knows that he's going to die if he doesn't get out of there and yet he is too physically ill to move and you know has no way to interact with the outside world and there's no way that the outside world is coming to them although we tease that because there's like a sheriff who finds the car wreck and then starts coming around and starts getting the sense that maybe there's something off about this kathy bates character uh, so we'll start playing with that but ultimately this is a film about survival and i'm going to say that it falls into that category so that's all i have for you this week uh we can continue talking about this if you have other examples i want you to feel free to share them with me i'm going to suggest right now blade is not a horror movie the devil's advocate is not a horror movie the lost boys is not a horror movie fright night is a horror movie because that is monster versus human um, and, you know, I, I would love for you to throw some titles at me and I'll talk about them and I'll think about them and we'll see if we can sort of craft these categories a little, uh, more specifically. That's all again for this week. Again, uh, if you want to hire me during March, 2012, pay for a rewrite. You get a full script consultation that includes me reading your script, uh, writing on the PDF, all my thoughts as I'm reading it, doing a set of notes for you. I send those two documents to you and then we talk about them for one hours, two hours, three hours, four hours. If it took me five hours, I'll take that time. I want you to get all the information that I have to offer. Um, that I thought about when I read your script and sort of the ways that you need to what you need to do in order to move it forward And again, if if your script is ready, I will get it to people I will send it to you know to agents and managers I, I think that you know again, and if I don't want to do that if I don't feel that the script is there There's a really good reason for it and I'm going to share that with you That's what the consultation is all about and again, you can buy my book at thestarterscreenplay.com, free shipping. You get it autographed personally to you. And my new class at the Director's Playhouse starts March 9th, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., six weeks. There is a free preview night on Thursday night uh, that you can sign up for at directorsplayhouse.com. And again, if you have any questions about any of this, please email me, get in touch. I am happy to talk to you and interact and use your questions on the podcast. All right, I'm Adam Levenberg. I'll have a new show for you next week.